Welcome to CinemaScope, a new podcast from True Story FM. Hi, I'm Andy Nelson, co-host of the Next Real Film podcast and Movies We Like. As a passionate movie lover, I've always relished exploring the diverse landscape of cinema. And when you look closer at the taxonomy of genres, subgenres, and film movements, you see an intricate web of interconnections and influences. This complex cinematic family tree spans only 125 years. So how did styles as diverse as the French New Wave, New Queer Cinema, and Ozploitation emerge? What cultural, economic, and technological forces sculpted these styles? And what hidden threads unite them all as part of the same fantastic art form? Those questions sent me on a journey to explore each style and trace their impacts, all to better understand the bridges between different styles. And that led me here to CinemaScope. In each episode, I'll be exploring one particular genre, subgenre, or film movement in depth, inviting expert guests to help us all better understand what defines that style, how it came to be, and what branches it, in turn, influenced on this big cinematic family tree. For example, how did German Expressionism shape American film noir? What's the difference between Westerns, Spaghetti Westerns, and Brazilian Nordesterns? We'll examine the economic and socio-political forces that birthed categories like black exploitation, and we'll spotlight visionary films and directors key to the evolution of different styles. So join me as we explore the complex forces that shape film's evolution and appreciate the diverse creativity possible in its relatively brief history. Let Cinemascope be your guide to understanding this art form we cherish how its genres blend, bounce off each other, and advance a rich tapestry of storytelling innovation. Together, we'll gain a deeper appreciation for this wondrous, shape-shifting medium. Our journey begins soon. Be part of this adventure by subscribing to CinemaScope today. Hello! From the Next Reels Film Board, this is Tommy Hansom with an important announcement. The following podcast includes movie audio clips that contain unbleeped profanity. Such profanity may include Damn, Hell, Nuts, Butter, McGee, Doodle, Captain, and Toot Toot, Here Comes the Diarrhea Parade. Listening discretion is advised. Hello, all. This mediation is here to help facilitate your divorce. You will all be civilized, and you will please address all speech to me, to you. So even if we want to talk to one another, we can't. I mean, if I wanted to say, Dina, I am going to have a beautiful life with your husband. Dina. I can't believe you brought her. I can't believe you brought Christine. I can't believe you shacked up with a bitch. I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to the next reel. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. Life of the party is over, and we're down to clown. 23 years of marriage just down the tubes. What am I going to do? I'm a 40-something-year-old woman that doesn't even have her degree. Oh, my God. Hmm. I know what I'm going to do. Let me see you. I don't regret staying at home and being your mom, but I regret not getting my degree. That's why somebody's mom just enrolled in college. Beep. Beep, beep, it's me. Okay, Andy, we're taking our kids to college. That's what we're doing. <laughs> and going with I... them. 
<laughs> now this is we are continuing our guilty pleasure series which uh if i had my way about it would be the entirety of the rest of this year <laughs> you're you have a lot of guilt to work through clearly <laughs> i do i do and so i think that it's important because last week we did hudson hawk that was mine and i feel like uh you made me go first and so this week i feel like you should go first uh and, and in defense of uh, uh, the our movie for this evening, Life of the Party, Pete. Ah, what yeah. joy I find in this movie. <laughs> you know, I, I people who follow along or are a part of our Discord group, you know, they they get a, a a vibe of the different movie challenges I put forth for myself from time to time because I'm always yes. doing one or another or multiple at a time. I, I think probably too many times is really the reality of what's going on. <laughs> well, one of those was going through Melissa McCarthy's uh, filmography and watching all of the films that she had been in because I really enjoy her on-screen presence. I think that she can be really funny. I think she can be incredibly uh, honest and earnest. I think she knows how to have a lot of fun. She's not afraid to get a little raunchy and uh, be a little over the top. And uh, I have always loved that about her. But she's also, I just love that she also has such like an honestness to her with everything. And whether it's something big and crazy like these sorts of films or the smaller sorts of films that she does like St. Vincent. Um, I think there's balance that she can find like when she's working on shows like uh, Gilmore Girls, things like that. And I really enjoy just her presence. I just find her to be such a joy to watch in whatever she's doing. There are plenty of bad movies, though, I will say that I sat through watching through her entire filmography. And well, it, excuse, give me a, give me a sense. I don't I'm sorry to interrupt, but I need a sense uh, so that I know where the baseline is for you compared to Life of the Party. Give me a bad one that is just a, by your measure, uh, subjectively, but you know we could say critically, objectively bad of Melissa McCarthy. Yeah, certainly. I, um, uh, you know, I keep track of all of them. I ranked them all on a letterbox yeah. list as I was going through. So if you give me a minute, I'll pull up my list and I can tell Take you. Take your time. This is awesome podcasting. We can we can edit this all out. That's what's great mm-hmm. about it. And I should say, I have not read your letterbox review of this. I assume you've done it because of your series. I did before. I did not on my most recent. I left it blank and then I will fill it in. When the time comes, when the show goes okay. live. All right. All right. Melissa McCarthy Marathon. Um, this one's not at the top of the uh, 29 films of hers that I've seen. Um, 20? <laughs> what? Yeah. 29 films. Oh, God. Okay. Now, be aware, okay. some of those are films like The Life of David Gale, White Oleander, where she has a very small bit part. But I still okay. watch them all, right. all. But you're a purist. I'm a purist. I, I watch them all. Yes. Um, it, this was. It's definitely in my top five. The very bottom five uh, from uh, position twenty five going Is down. Happy Time Murders. No, it's that? in the bottom five. Yes. Uh, okay. The backup plan. The uh, the J Lo film. She did have okay. a. a Fairly funny bit part in that. The Happy Time Murders is spot 26. The Hangover Part 3, spot 27. Pumpkin, spot 28. And The Boss, spot 29. Which one, Wait, which one was The Boss? Who was in that one? The trailer had all the funny bits. That's where she is like, uh, here's, the, here's the little uh, synopsis. A titan of industry is sent to prison after she's caught for insider training. 
trading. When she emerges ready to rebrand herself as America's latest sweetheart, not everyone she screwed over is so quick to forgive and forget. And this is where she ends up um, staying with somebody that she worked with and then becoming like her daughter's den mother for her like girl scout group sort of thing this was the Kristen bell uh, movie right that that's yeah okay that was unfortunate all right i haven't seen it but okay don't bother just watch the trailer again because that had funny bits the rest well stay stay tuned andy stay tuned oh oh good all right here we go Mm -hmm. so this film life of the party this one um I did not end up watching this one in theaters, but I, I when I rented this one, I, it just it had all of the the best bits of Melissa McCarthy that I just think that make her just work so well on screen and in film. It, she she has just this honest sense about her character. She's very pure. She just is very um, uh, full of heart, and she also can be a little. Uh, vulgar at times, and which I just I thought was really fun in context of this film. Going back to college with her daughter, and I, I just I, I don't know. I guess it 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 had a lot of jokes that just worked really well for me in context of everything going on. It's not like a story we haven't seen before. I mean, if you look at stuff like Back to School or things like that, where, you know, a parent goes back to college to get that degree they always wanted. It's another one of those films. But it just, it it had a lot of heart, and they have a lot of fun with it. Is it perfect? No. It's not rated very highly on IMDb. Uh, you know, it ends up kind of falling below the point where, um, where I guess we would call it uh, a... Well, I mean, you usually have your six-star rule when it comes to IMDb, right? Right. right and right. so when I was looking for guilty pleasures, I'm like, well, it needs to have at least, you know, a, a, a star rating on IMDb below six stars. That was kind of my cutoff for guilty pleasures that I rated fairly high. So Life of the Party, 5.6. And uh, I mean, that's not the lowest of scores, but, you know, clearly en- enough people didn't like it. And, um, but I sure found it a lot of fun. So... Matt Brunson at Film Frenzy says Life of the Party is trite, derivative, and simply stupid. Yes, it's it's nice to see McCarthy (laughs) and Falcone giving this that old college try and almost pulling it off. Uh, uh, Cultured Vultures says Life of the Party comes with good concept, but weak script and cheap gags. Uh, uh, Jude Dry over at IndieWire says Life of the Party is proof that even the funniest actors need good material, which makes it all the more disappointing that McCarthy wrote the script with director Ben Falcone, who's also so her husband. Uh, Life of the Party doesn't live up to either of the nouns in its title, says Christopher Orr, with a <laughs> witty, witty retort to this film from The Atlantic. Uh, and uh, Peter Travers over the Rolling Stone. Uh, Melissa McCarthy is comedy royalty. It's scientific fact. Look it up. But even the bridesmaid star can't keep this mom goes to college fluff ball from, from flatlining. From the critical consensus, I think this absolutely qualifies as a uh, as a guilty pleasure. The tomato meter, Rotten Tomatoes, says that it's a thirty nine percent. It's a it's a splat. Uh, audience score is also thirty nine percent. So. I think you win that this is a guilty pleasure. And I, I go through all of that because I know that you were fully wrought by this I decision was. this year. <laughs> so I want to set you at ease. You won, man. This was this was a great pick. It's, on a, that it's score okay alone. to feel guilty. It is okay. You've done it. I think it's fascinating. These um, 
back to these reverse coming of age stories, right? These these grown ups go back to school that we are. Why do we as adults continue to fantasize and find these things so delightful? Uh, these kinds of films, the adults is a fish out of water story going back to back to college. And it's not like, you know, this is uh, new territory, as you said, I mean, I started researching this thing going back to to Bing Crosby in High Time, which is a, a movie I had not seen prior to this. But he was 51 years old, the character, 51 years old, going back to college in High Time in 19 uh, in the early 60s. Uh, and that was before Dangerfield obviously did it in what has become the gold standard in Back to School. Uh, Billy Madison did it. Uh, I, For me, my favorite movie to date, uh, in this kind of category of of adults go back to school kind of thing is old school. Uh, I I've always found that McKay film has been has really tickled me in just all the right ways, um, and that I I think uh, it is why Life of the Party was such a surprise for me uh, because I've always been one who likes the sort of ribald comedy of old school. Uh, one that is just sort of a, a little bit pushing the the boundaries a little bit harder in terms of the, I guess, the sleaze factor. Does that make me dirty? <laughs> so I wish my films were more sleazy. But but here's the thing, Hindi, I was seriously delighted by this movie. Yay! I was so charmed. And let me tell you a little bit about my day. I At about three o'clock, I started uh, on the YouTube train and I have watched... Every appearance of Melissa McCarthy on the Ellen DeGeneres show over her extensive <laughs> 20 appearances on the Ellen wow. DeGeneres. Did, did I see the one where Billie Eilish popped out of a box and had been <laughs> sitting in that box for like two hours waiting for the segment so she could surprise? Yes, I saw that segment. It was amazing. Wow. Uh, I, I've seen them all. And I have to tell you, not only was I delighted by this movie, I think I'm in love with Melissa McCarthy, which is is deeply unsettling. <laughs> She's amazing. I may just want to marry both her and Ben Falcone. There you go. Uh, so I, you have me, you've, you've brought me a pick that has absolutely swayed me. I didn't see this and I didn't think I was too into Melissa McCarthy movies. Ghostbusters was funny. It, I, I liked her in it, uh, but it, um, it, it didn't, touch me like this one did i found i found her performance here uh, maybe it's just the right day maybe it's the right time i watched it with my kids and they were howling can howling. i tell you every time that we watch this the kids and my wife and i we will re-watch the the two scenes back to back of deanna being initiated into the sorority <laughs> with the spanking which i about ex explode laughing spanking me? i feel like i'm still being spanked <laughs> that followed by the scene where she has to give her presentation in her class and she's dabbing her face with the tissues and she gets chunks all over her and she just keeps going Oh, those two scenes, like right there, like yes. oh, the kids and I will watch it over and over and we're all rolling on the floor. It is so stinking funny. I just I love it. I uh, to that point, Andy, and I think this is this is really important about this movie that uh, for me is that it is back. 
it is a back to school movie that doesn't truck in the dumb sleaze. Right. right. And it is a movie that allows me to actually sit back and watch it with my kids and to have fun with the the mother daughter experience and the weird divorce experience. And the I mean, I, I, I think all of these elements are not amped up to 11 on the sleaze scale such that it makes it a a a, a wider um, uh, it allows it to reach a wider audience. And I think that's really touching for a movie like this. And it and. Um, so I was I was really pleased. I, I also think that McCarthy is playing a, a bit of a she's playing a character here. Right. I mean, the way she talks about it, she's playing a character that is based off of her mother. Um, and so it's super innocent, but super um, positive, uh, well-meaning, well-intentioned uh, and less slapstick. Uh, so it, it was sort of less. I, I guess I'm comparing it to Ghostbusters, and but but she wasn't very slapstick in Ghostbusters either. But certainly closer to Saint Vincent than um, you know than some of the other uh, harder comedies. I and I think a lot of that does come from, like you said, it's that it's just that sense, that positive sense that she always has. You know, where she's walking around campus and she's she might be aware that she doesn't quite fit in, but. She's it doesn't stop her from going, oh, you just got hit by school spirit. You know, she she kind of keeps it up and and makes for this character that that ends up coming across where it's not falling into kind of the place where the sleaze is. Because, I mean, it, this is PG-13. You know, we definitely have college parties. She definitely is sleeping with a with one of the kids at school here. Uh, that's delightful. And oh, and, and there's a lot of there is stuff in here that that could very easily fall into much sleazier territory and she's done sleazier you know projects too and she she certainly doesn't shy away from that right but what makes this film work so well for me is the fact that it's like writing that line like we have her talking about her the google you know she's there are those moments here but it's done in such a kind of a, a caring honest way about you know being there for her daughter and everything where it just it feels so much uh, like a little more pure. And I, I really like that about this film. Well, I think this the, the movie does not stoop to treating her like an embarrassment. And I think that is something that um, she has done before, right? Uh, leveraging jokes about weight and the non-stereotypical body and, and all of that, which is just sort of tiresome, right? I, I just am not, I'm not a fan of that. And at no point was she the brunt of the joke, even in a, uh, a, a situation where it would have been super easy. And I think that's one of the criticisms of Falcone, too, is that sometimes he takes the easy route uh, and makes the easy joke the, the, the funny thing. And in this case, it would have been super easy to make her the brunt of a joke uh, on campus, right? The the mom goes back to school. We get a couple of, of fun jives, which I think she handles them very well. She doesn't become like beaten down by the embarrassment of her being on campus. We d this movie does not wallow in the the mom is embarrassing the daughter, right? If anything, one of the that that is an element that's that's keenly subverted in this movie, where the daughter ends up getting embarrassed by how well the mom fits in and is able to join the sorority. And I mean, that's rich stuff, man. I think that is a that's a, a great 
uh, a way to turn the this movie and that again that well trod territory on its head. And I, I thought it was I thought it was delightful. To that point, I think that the the element that allows for more of the mother daughter relationship to um, to potentially have a bigger kind of moment of embarrassment. It's one area where I always feel the the film does fall a little flat and it it frustrates me. It's when uh Dee Dee, Deanna, D Rock, however we want to D-Rock, call her. Yeah. She um she and the other sorority sisters are feeling very bitter about the fact that that uh Deanna's ex-husband is getting married. And so they decide, you know, as they're all kind of hopped up on on pot filled brownies that they're going to go kind of crash the wedding just to see how it is. And then they end up basically kind of trashing the whole place that it's I think it's one of those moments where you're you're, you know, as an audience member, you're like, no, 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 don't do it. Don't do it. They do it. They trash the place. They get busted by her ex and 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 her daughter and that is for me the moment that should have carried more weight in the film unfortunately like it it carries weight in that particular moment but then the film doesn't really come back to it in any strong way it's not it doesn't become a point that that has uh kind of a moment for the daughter and mother to have to find a strong way to reconnect and all that it's it's they get through it pretty quickly. And, you know, if there is one area I wish that they had spent a little more time on, that would be the area. Well, I, I would like to talk a little bit more about that, specifically because I think, you know, I have it in my tropes corner mm. um, section. Nice. You know, when you look at when you look at a movie like this, we've got to talk about the tropes. And and that is certainly one of them, the slow motion descri- destruction scene. Yeah, right. Uh, and and but for me, I. Uh, one, I agree with you because you're brilliant, but I, I agree with you because, um, you know, I, I wanted it to have more weight. I didn't have a problem with the scene itself at all. I mean, I thought it was funny and they destroyed stuff and the cake tastes so good. And there were some funny bits that the girls got to do. Um, but the uh, the the challenge that I uh, I had with it is that it it became just a tool to get to the party at the end, right? It was like, oh, you know, we're we're only using this as a way to withdraw money, withdraw funding, exactly. no more money for you, and that was just such a uh, a quick turn for me. Like I felt like there were no consequences uh, for her to do that. How did if she's if she's cut off? How are they paying for that? How did that? Like I wanted, I I needed her to feel a little bit more to demonstrate a little bit more pain. Yeah. And and instead it it was just an entree to the Christina Aguilera bit which feel like my opinion on this is going to be wildly hypocritical. And so I'll just <laughs> say that first. Um maybe I should ask you first. What what do you think of the climax of this movie dropping the Christina Aguilera bit? She she shows up as she turns out she's the cousin of the dark roommate and she shows up at the party because they lied on Twitter and said that she was coming to the big party. OK, you know, it's one of those moments by that point in the film. I, I, I think it's a bit of a stretch, but I find myself forgiving it because I find it to just be done in a way that's enjoyable and it's easy to kind of go along with. Is it is it perfect? Is it well written? Maybe not, but I I'm easy on that bit. I is it well written? Categorically, no. I think that <laughs> this is an example of Ben Falcone and Melissa McCarthy at their worst on on in, in terms of 
writing the script because this was the easiest of the easy way outs to to it felt much more it like turned into like a disney movie oh we're gonna move into song and it's gonna be christina aguilera and she's gonna come in it's gonna be a huge surprise and she's gonna sing a song now i say all that being critical of that sequence at the end and I'm still the guy who really loves the way Hudson Hawk ends. Airbags in the back seat. Can you believe it? This is the airbags in the back seat. Can you effing believe it? Yeah, scene. Right. Yeah. And I'm so I know, I know that. I just I didn't care for it with Christina. I love it with Danny. What are you gonna do? Uh I'm I, I have to live with that. No, it's in it it totally I totally agree with you. And it is one of those things where if you're gonna buy into it, you're gonna buy into it. And and by this point in the film, I'm so easy on it because I've enjoyed it. And this is coming right after my issues with the way that the the uh destruction of the wedding uh, uh the cake and the room how that doesn't work for me going into this, which, you know, like you just pointed out, the only reason that they do all that is to get us to this place. It, it You know, it's it's kind of sloppy the way that it's constructed right through here. But I still just enjoy it. And I think it's just I, I enjoy the way that Christina comes in and it just is so convenient and it just it doesn't make any sense. But I'm just like I, I'm in it because I'm having fun. If anything, it earns uh, Heidi Gardner, who plays Lenore, the the purported cousin of of Christina Aguilera in this universe, the life of the party cinematic universe. Uh, she uh, one of the many talk shows I watched today. Uh, she was uh, doing a, a bit with Debbie Ryan. The interviewer said, so are you are you friends with with Christina? And Debbie Ryan says, oh, no, I'm. Debbie Ryan and she's Christina Aguilera. Like I, I am great. And and uh, in in what I have to say is every bit her Lenore droll. Uh, Heidi Gardner says, "Yes, yes, I think we are friends." That <laughs> <laughs> was like for me. I laughed out loud at that because the interviewer was just struck silent. He was like, "Oh, oh." Now I'm talking to one of Christina's friends. <laughs> uh, so I, I think, you know, it's fine. It was fine. They got a musical number at the end and it was yeah. it's it's exactly fine. But that's where for me in my ultimate review, I could feel the stars getting whittling, uh, being whittled off this as, as one of the great comedies. It comes off the rails at the end in a way that didn't feel redemptive uh, to um to the story and it didn't demonstrate the consequences that I think we needed to see um, you know, right. for what they ultimately did. Now, in terms of the tropes, can we just run through some tropes and see if I missed any? Let's do it. All right. The makeover and reveal trope. Mm. Uh, we we have her. She goes in as a mom with all of the smocks. She's wearing a bedazzled smock and she has the bows in her hair and everything's buttoned up tight. And her daughter takes her into the bathroom, strips her down a little bit, shows her bosom, and <laughs> brushes her hair with a disease-infested uh, fratern fraternity brush. And she comes out as a, uh, as a much more relaxed campus citizen. What'd you think? What'd you think of that? Very tropey. Very, it's, Very it's, tropey. It's, it's not even just this type of college movies. I mean, this is something that is done in all sorts Every of movies, movie. yeah. It's yes, like the, it's all over the, the place. uptight person gets gets you know, the makeover, and they're a little more relaxed. The you know the the nerdy person gets a makeover. You know, it just it's so tropey, but uh, it I don't know. I find it very fun here because she is such a kind of a, a dork. <laughs> in the beginning. Yeah. 
Yeah. And and I think it works. And I actually like, you know, the, the thing that turns this trope on its ear. OK, it's not the the daughter to the mother. It's the mother or it's, or it's not the mother to the daughter. It's the daughter to the mother. And uh, I, I like this because this is a sequence that allows the daughter, Maddie, to overcome her her own issues having her mother there and to kind of embrace the fact that her mom is now on campus and and I think it's it gives us a chance for that relationship turning point to sort of blossom and I think it it turns out great plus she comes out looking great who are you kidding she's that's a it's a good change yeah it totally is yeah and and she still has enough of her nerdiness kind of the dorky mom vibe but she's very relaxed now and seems to be having a little more fun uh we go to the college party we're in the college days. I guess this, this is the same college party, and we have to talk about the booze. And so here we get the, um, I don't know. I, I don't know how tropey this is, but it's the fish out of water, uh, non-campus citizen coming up to the uh, the bar and asking <laughs> for wine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, it, there are a couple of things I, I like about this scene in particular, and, and I think... I think one that I don't. First, we meet Jack, and I think Jack is is a fantastic character. Um, I, I think he's a fantastic character, and he makes for a bit of a red herring because uh, Jack is uh, he's played by Luke Benward. He is a super handsome uh, college student, and he meets uh, Deanna and is immediately smitten with her. This, again, is another opportunity for the movie to show conflict by... Uh, having something happen or having uh, Deanna's character uh, somehow mistake his intentions, somehow making her the brunt of a joke. But this is legitimately, this guy is smitten with her. And the sequences of them hooking up, hooking up in the stacks, having sex in the stacks, <laughs> they don't act, you know, show that sex, but they show, I mean, it is hysterical. And when he turns around and says, oh, I think you're my sexual Dumbledore. <laughs> I, Andy, I had to stop the movie. I had to stop. <laughs> I had to stop the movie. I was laughing so hard. I couldn't I couldn't stand it also because my kids are so connected to Harry Potter that 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 joke was gangbusters in my house. I mean, we were hyperventilating. So uh, I think that gives us a great opportunity for an authentic relationship. It actually weirdly it weirdly played out just right. And it starts at the bar in the boozy scene as he. Uh, tells her that they don't actually have a Chardonnay, but they do have some wine in a box. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so good. And I mean, just the Dumbledore comment also, just her reaction to that, just like, no, you, you, that no, that doesn't work. Not a, not a good time. Don't compare don't, the, man woman. With the old man with a beard. <laughs> <laughs> Grizzled old man with a beard. <laughs> but it was um, nice try. Nice try. Nice no, try. It's great. And plus, I mean, I, I, I know this is stepping outside of the trope, but I thought it was very fun construction of the story to then have him be uh, her ex-husband's <laughs> new, wife's new wife's son that yes. they none of them realize until of course the the moment when they're all in the same room together which was oh, very delicious fun. very fun. delicious yes um so back to the boozy bit the other thing that we get in this uh, in this meeting is Jimmy O Yang and Jimmy O Yang is uh, to me he's he's one of those up and coming iconic comedians he's a very funny guy and uh, i have a i i think 
Well, I guess two things. One, they gave him the relationship with Maddie. So the daughter and Jimmy O. Yang's character, Tyler, are in a relationship together. And it's deeply underplayed. To have a relationship there, ultimately, we didn't need it. It was a distraction. He could have been anybody. And in that regard, this movie wildly underuses his talents as a comedian. I mean, wildly. So I call this a a, a tragic miscast that he was even in this movie. If you're not going to use him for what he's good for, don't use him at all. Let him go do something else. I mean, I know, you know, actors got to work and I, there's it's a complex tapestry. But uh, for me, I needed more Yang or less Yang. But what I got was was middling Yang. And that was... That not, well, and, not uh, you know, I'm unfamiliar with the actor because, I mean, I've never seen Silicon Valley. So that's that's primarily where he is. I mean, he was on like six seasons of that show. So yes. And he has a great stand up tour. I mean, he's just a very funny guy. Right. And uh, yeah. and he's appeared in a number of films. And um, but it's it's funny because like I never really I, I don't know if I've ever really thought anything of him because I've seen so little of him. So for me, it really didn't phase me that there was nothing there. But knowing that he is an actor who uh, has a much bigger presence outside of this film, I I completely agree that they really uh, misused him in the casting of this film. And I can't help, it, it makes me wonder if there were scenes that were cut out of the script at some point that developed the rela- relationship more or had just more scenes between uh, Maddie and him that allowed for kind of a, a reason for them to have cast him in the film at all, you know? Okay, I'm I'm actually glad to hear you agree with that because their relationship that that you and I are in, in the same page. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where I the the when I just rewatched this film, I'm like, oh, I forgot she even had a boyfriend. Like it's so not a part of the movie that it just means nothing. It's just like, why is it even in here? Oops, the chocolate is dope. <laughs> That's. <laughs> chapter heading of this particular trope the uh the mom character the uh the fish out of water character is accidentally dosed with a lot of weed in the edibles and i have to tell you andy this was subtle and disgustingly hysterical for me when they realize that they start getting high the tricks that they did with the CG on the faces as they start looking at each other, making their eyes big. Yeah. Weirded me out. That was a great <laughs> effect. And I felt like I was high. Well, and it's, it's done in a way where it's, uh, it's not overly emphasizing it. It's just like slight Snapchat filters, you know, it's yep, not very slight. It's not the big one where your entire head is just a mouth or something yep, like that. Yep. And so I think that they did it right, where it's just, it's making it feel a little bit, you know, the world's a little kooky because all of a sudden everyone's eyes are slightly bigger. Uh, I thought it worked really nicely. And it is it is such a trope. And, it, you know, I they do play to a lot of tropes. But I think that, and this is something I think that worked with Colin Higgins when we were doing our previous series, is that when you're playing with tropes, if you do it in a way that, that you know, 
it, it can it can work still if you're keeping it honest and if you're you know just just playing with it just enough where the trope is there but it doesn't just feel like old hat and this give it's it is very much a, a trope but I feel like there's just enough there to kind of keep the comedy. There's a deleted scene where it turns out the owner of that apartment uh, also has like a collection of giant uh, spiders that actually get out. While they're doped up and <laughs> the scene where they're all super high and they're going around smashing these spiders. And it's a horrible experience for everybody. And I, I sort of regret that wasn't in there. I know that, that, you know, there's a certain amount of energetic balance and they're about to go destroy the wedding. But I kind of wish that that scene had made it into the movie. Uh, we've already talked about the slow oh motion gosh. destruction scene, but we do have sex in the stacks. That's a good one uh, for a, a college movie. I, maybe that's not a trope is is sex in the stacks a, a thing or was that just my college experience <laughs> you know i don't think sex in the stacks is a trope but i do think sex in uh you know interesting locations with new couples um that can be a trope in a film when you're kind of you know showing them you know hey new relationship they'll have yeah. sex anywhere anywhere you know? yeah. and, and that's exactly <laughs> what the trope is <laughs> <laughs> okay uh and you know there we have i guess studying so hard i i kind of wrote that thinking you know there's always the we have to interrupt you and go to the party thing I, eh, it's not too tropey the dark well, roommate you know, but it's tropey enough where i think in college films there inevitably there is going to be some sort of uh thing in this type of film and you can it, Check me on Back to the Future, uh, Back to the Future, Back to School. Also, where they hit a point where they have to, you're going to have to have a montage or something's going to have to happen where this person is going to have to now all of a sudden try really hard to get through it so that they can actually succeed in their journey to graduate. What's interesting too about that is, and, and it's and to that point, it is the 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 student is going to have to make a choice, right? They're faced with this choice of, I'm either going to stay here and work really hard or I'm going to go socialize and see what shenanigans un unfold before me. Um, and and that's what we have here. The, the thing that I think is interesting here is that she is already positioned as a top student, right? She kind of has it all. She comes back. She's welcomed socially. Her daughter's relationship with her daughter is, is working. She's in the class experience that we get with her. She's in a class with a guy who was her peer when she was in college all those years ago and is now her professor. He likes her a lot clearly has some sort of a crush on her. He's amazing. Uh, Mr. <laughs> Trurak, as Chris Parnell is, uh, plays Mr. Trurak. And her academic challenge is only fear of public speaking, right? Yeah. That's a thing that she gets to get over. That's great. But there weren't any other, like, late-night study cram sessions. We're going to help her learn everything about archaeology the night before the big test. Yeah, uh, right. Which I, I thought that was refreshing that we we didn't get that. So. Uh, well, and I, I that's, like, the use of this trope is just the fact that she has to get over this fear of public speaking. And, again, it's done. It's not too hard. Like, we don't ever have to see her practicing or anything like that. She just goes in feels a little more confident now because she's gone through stuff and then all of her sisters her sorority sisters come in to be you know there for her and so and, and even by that point even the mean girls are kind of like okay yeah she can do it and then like everyone's more confident 
now. And it's, you know, it's, it is one of those things where I'm like, it's a little easy to kind of get through that. But again, I find it okay. I kind of needed that to be easy because most of the story where the heart is, is somewhere else in the movie. And so they need, you need this to kind of get through here. The dark roommates though. Uh, oh, the oddball <laughs> roommate. Um, uh, we already mentioned Heidi Gardner as Leonor or Lenore. Which can I just say she is like the the this generation's Lily Sabisky? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. Now that Lily is retired, it's like, oh, yeah, <laughs> there she is again. Yep, there she is again. Well, yeah. I mean, for every generation, there can be only one. <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, you know, I thought she was great. And, um, in, in fact, I sort of feel like the movie pumped the brakes on the relationship between, uh, Deanna and, uh, Leonore. I, I expected there to be that transformation, that that was going to be the thing. Oh my gosh, she's going to come out and get some vitamin D and all of a sudden she's going to be a beautiful princess. And I, I, I think they actually, the relationship between the two of them, I think, was was right on uh, the money. It wasn't too much. Right. And it plays in just just enough to the the finish where I, I can kind of buy into the fact that, yeah, oh, yeah, she's my cousin. You know, I buy into all of that, that nonsense. It just I don't know. It seemed it seemed a little light, but it still it still was fun. One of them that I forgot to write in my notes is, you know, the best friend, right? The hero worship, heroine worship here. And, mm-hmm. and I can't believe I didn't write this down because this makes this movie, it, it, it absolutely elevates this movie above everything we've already talked about. It's Maya Rudolph. <laughs> she is stunning in this movie. She is everything that I want. And I think that part of it, the reason that this movie works, allowing, uh, uh, Melissa McCarthy to be a little bit more subdued. The, do you remember the Key and Peel? They did the the Obama uh, anger translator. Yes. Do you remember that yes. bit? Oh yeah. Okay, so it's kind of like that. That <laughs> Melissa McCarthy got to be a little bit more subdued because some of that high Melissa McCarthy energy got to be channeled through Maya Rudolph. <laughs> It was used perfectly. I mean, from the racquetball courts, I will say that both men, uh, it, the husbands uh, or the the men who are waiting outside the racquetball courts were uh, both uh, Melissa McCarthy and Ben Falcone's dads, uh, oh, and, which great. is which is fun that they got to to put those in there. And well, what works well for me with with actually a couple different couples is they create relationships that feel like real relationships. The way that Maya's uh, character re- interacts with her husband, Frank. I feel like, yeah, Frank, I feel like there's a real relationship th- there. Like they they say snarky things to each other or she says snarky things to him and he just kind of reacts how he reacts. They always seem to be wanting to have sex <laughs> in strange places wherever <laughs> they go. Like, I'm just like, this feels like a real relationship. And I liked it. And it felt uh, it felt like kind of a sloppy real marriage, just like we have the same thing with Stephen Root and Jackie Weaver as uh, Deanna's parents. I thought that was another couple where I'm like, I totally buy these as a couple. And uh, and I, yeah, I mean, Melissa McCarthy had uh, you know, Jackie Weaver kind of based on her own mother as far as like always making sandwiches and just like the solution to everything was why don't I make you a sandwich? You just need a little sandwich. Yeah, like it, it was super funny. But and that's why I love these couples. And that's what I really enjoyed about Maya Rudolph is because she's one of those actresses who can be a little much for me sometimes. 
in this particular film, like she feels like she's just perfect. And just the way that she and her husband react at the dinner when everything is revealed and they're like, this is the best night ever. I mean, it was just, it was, <laughs> it was perfect. It was. Uh, it, she's she's great. We also have the girls, the the crew, right? The sorority sisters. Yeah, yeah. And they're all wonderful. For me, uh, Gillian Jacobs uh, brings her character <laughs> from Community, Britta Perry, and, and makes her just uh, slightly off-center enough that... I am just magnetically drawn to her when she's on stay on screen. I just want to know what she's doing. And often it is crazy and it's perfect. I think she's so funny. The fact that movie. she is coma girl, yeah. I think that that makes that character work for me because it allows the kookiness to not feel too much in some weird way. I don't yeah, know. It's I, I, earned. I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's totally earned. Exactly. I, I, when I started, started the movie and they introduce us to her as coma girl and Leonore as the dark girl roommate, I thought that's going to be too much oddball for this movie. They have just <laughs> put a hat on a hat. And you know what? I, I think it played. I think it played well. Uh, did I miss anything? Well, we have the mean girls. Yeah. Right. Um, uh, we've got Jennifer doing the mean girls. It's nothing redeemable uh, as the campus antagonist. Um, uh, she is the, uh, good looking hater who pokes fun at everything about the mom and, uh, gives, uh, Deanna, you know, something to just bounce against. They do have a dance off, which is funny. Yeah. Uh, and so I, you know, it, it was fine. Well, I, I mean, just all of that. Yeah, it it all worked. I mean, it's it is a very tropey thing to do that. Even the dance off is almost a trope, you know, where it's yeah, like you got to right. have some way to show up, show up uh, the the other other people, and that's how they do it here. And I mean, Melissa has got her moves on her. She's great out there on the dance floor, which is super fun to watch. Well, and the setting is perfect because they staged the the dance off at the eighties dance. Yeah, eighties night exactly. Eighties night, and they great. all came in perfect costumes. And they all show up as the as the Falcon Crest team or Dallas, <laughs> right, I something like that. Was, she did. I love that she dropped the. I'm going to go find who out who who shot Jr. Yeah, and right. nobody knew. Oh, right. <laughs> Uh, so uh, that was that was all great. They're kind of the antagonists on campus, but it's a pretty small role. Really, the film, and I think you brought this up earlier, the, the antagonist of the film really is her ex-husband. And it starts right out of the gate at the very beginning when he says he wants a divorce. And the way that that scene ends, just as a, as a footnote here, I just think is hilarious because she gets out of the car and he's left in it. And it, it just shows so much about relationships because his last line before the scene ends is, great, now I got to use ways. Because <laughs> he, he doesn't even know how to get home from there, which was just perfect. But just like the way that that divorce kind of, uh, you know, shaped or the marriage, I should say, shaped her life. And then the divorce allowed her to reshape it. And just but still, it's just it's it's divorce. It's hard to go through. I mean, just watch Marriage Story and you'll you'll see. But it, it there's a lot of stuff going on here that uh, that kind of allows kind of. Um, him to continue being kind of an antagonist from the back, even even though it's kind of a distant antagonist. So it's kind of it's kind of a tricky way that the film is working the antagonist angle because he's there, he pops in, he's got the new the new uh, girlfriend. They're gonna fly off and get married using her airline ticket. He's got an earring now. You know, there's there's all these little things that keep happening that 
it's it's an interesting way to kind of play an antagonist of the film because they're just not present. And I, I honestly can't remember back to school well enough, but did he have a direct antagonist who was a student or was it a faculty member who wanted to get rid of him? I honestly can't remember. I can't either. I cannot remember that movie. It's Vapor. But I feel like it was somebody who was at the school who kind of represented either the authority or in some way they they represented the school and it was more about him being kind of you know fighting against the school in order to get through it or maybe it was just himself oh, gosh i really just can't remember i just know he had a really hard time he had to study at the end and and make sure he passed everything but or there were yeah i mean or there it was probably you know a, a sports ball team or a frat or well, he does, yeah because he does this he does the swimming thing i remember the oh, big that's diving right. yep, championship that's right yeah. he does the diving championship yeah so yeah stuff Anyhow. i remember and stuff i don't but um yeah so anyway it's it's interesting that it's her ex that is kind of continues to be the uh the adversary throughout the film because as you know we said it's only the fact that she destroys the wedding that that forces him to kind of cut her off financially and she doesn't have the funds anymore to finish school which leads them to kind of do this whole Christina Aguilera thing so that they can raise enough money for her to kind of continue which you know it all seems a little wonky and when you say it out loud <laughs> but but that's okay. In context of the film, it ends up playing. And it just, it's its odd for me, I guess, that the antagonist is just her husband, but it ends up working. Yeah, I think it works for me, too. I also think, you know, we I don't think we can bundle all of that antagonism into the husband. You got to give some credit to Julie Bowen as Marcy. I think Julie Bowen is oh, terrific yeah. at, at playing those sort of type A personalities. And, and you know, she's been terrific as the, the kind of off the wall foil on Modern Family for God, 11 seasons. Uh, I, I think she's very funny in here. And the scene where they all go in for mediation with the attorney er, is uh, is a real highlight for me <laughs> in this movie. All the comments have to go through the mediator. So they all end up just, you know, looking at the mediator and laying into her with swears and insults. And uh, I, I think that's a real high point for, for uh, Marcy's character. So really Wait. fun. Yeah, and of course, uh, you get some some great little bits with uh, Christine there also, who doesn't really understand anything and is acting like an attorney for Deanna. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. That's right, Maya Rudolph. Uh, court adjourned. <laughs> uh, okay, well, you know, Andy, in terms of, of what we get out of this movie, um, you know, I... I don't know if if we're going to call this. Do we call this a Ben Falcone movie? Uh, it's Falconian. It, it's Falconian. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, is it is it a Falconian film? Well, uh, does so, he get that credit, or or do we talk about them now only as a couple? They certainly seem to be kind of that way. You know, McCarthyconian. McCarthyconian. Ooh, oh, I like that. McConian. I like that. They. <laughs> <laughs> They really do uh, work well together. And, and and I mean, he's got a great bit part in the film, too. You know, he's been in a lot of films as bit parts with her, even when he's directing. Like, the first time he directed uh, with her was uh, Tammy, the film uh, four years before this. And then he did The Boss. And then he went and did this. He uh, produced The Happy Time Murders. Ta Tammy's, Tammy's a 4.9. On the old IMDb scale. 
Tammy is uh, it's number ten on my list of twenty nine. Okay, <laughs> I, right. I would say by the time you get to about fifteen, it really starts dropping off. <laughs> it really <laughs> does. <laughs> you know, she's she's got I'd say uh, you write about eight movies that are I'd say <laughs> pretty pretty yeah. pretty good. Um, but yeah, he produced Happy Time Murders. He is directing and producing Super Intelligence, which is coming out later this year. That's, uh, again, uh, their fourth collaboration together, uh, the two of them. And then I believe uh, Thunder Force. Is in that? James uh, Corden is in that one, too. Yeah, right, and then Thunder right. Force and then uh, Margie Claus, which is the one where she plays Santa's wife who has to go, um, you know, he's in trouble somewhere and she has to go help him. Okay. So, yeah, they've got a number of projects that they're working on together. And it feels very much like it is a thing where it is the two of them now. And it it feels like they're kind of a husband and wife team. She's doing a lot of her own stuff. He's kind of popping up and doing some of his own stuff. But I think he's hit a point where he's not acting so much anymore uh, in bigger parts. I think mostly it's just kind of small bit things here and there, and then he's directing and producing and writing stuff with his wife. Okay. So I guess it's Falcone, you know, uh, McCarthyconian. <laughs> I, I think that it really is kind of becoming that. So, so uh, yeah, we'll see how it continues as their, as their filmography grows together. Andy, I'm, I'll tell you, I am smitten by this movie. I, I've, obviously, I watched it with the kids. I can't wait to sit down and watch it with my wife. I feel like it was a real treat. Did anybody else agree with now you and me? How did it do <laughs> at awards season? This is one of those movies that, uh, you know, you're not going to see at the Oscars, unfortunately. Um, or, or maybe oh, a movie dear. like this. It's fine yeah. that it's not at the Oscars. It's just fine. It uh, it did get some awards. Uh, it had two wins for other nominations. Um, it uh, At the People's Choice Awards, Melissa McCarthy won for favorite comedy star for this film. But on the flip side, she also uh, won the Razzie in, for, in no. 2019. It's a shared Razzie for this and Happy Time Murders. So oh. it's, you know, I can understand it for Happy Time Murders. But, uh, you know, I struggle with it for this film. It really is sad. Um, it was nominated for Worst Film of the Year by St. Louis Film Critics Association. They really didn't seem to care for it very much, unfortunately. But the Teen Choice Awards, those teens, they enjoyed it. They nominated it for Choice Summer Movie and Choice Summer Movie Star, Melissa McCarthy. Um, did not win in either case, unfortunately. But, um, but you know, that's okay. They, uh, they decided Incredibles 2 was a little bit more of the Choice Summer Movie. They decided that Bryce Dallas Howard from Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom was the choice summer movie star. But the one that uh, I enjoyed the mo- most of all the awards that uh, that happened here were, was from the Alliance of Women Film Journalists. Oh. This, yes, this one was for the category The Actress Most in Need of a New Agent. <laughs> <laughs> She was nominated uh, for the for that <laughs> terrible category because of Life of the Party and the Happy Time Murders. They actually say everything except "Can you ever forgive me?" So at least they liked that one. But <laughs> uh, 
But in fact, she lost to, interestingly enough, Jennifer Lawrence from Red Sparrow, which I, I didn't see, but I was like, really? That that didn't uh, strike them as something that was an okay wow. uh, J-Law film? And I think it's telling that everything except Can You Ever Forgive Me is the thing that they call out because it just it it really demonstrates, I think, how, um, you know, how she's her brand of comedy might be just plain misunderstood. Well, and I think that she's okay going broad with different things. I mean, she can do very serious projects like Can You Ever Forgive Me? while also doing something that is a little more endearing like Life of the Party while being very tropey and, uh, you know, kind of over-the-top fun. And she can also do something that's really over-the-top and raunchy as all get-out like the Happy Time Murders. So I, I think that she's just somebody who's like, you know what, I'm going to have fun. And, you know, if it, it may not all be uh, award-winning material, but I'm going to enjoy what I'm doing. And that's what I think she's doing. How about at the box office? Did it make any money? Well, the Falcone McCarthy team, or the the McCarthyconians, or whatever we decide <laughs> to call them, uh, they got a $30 million budget to work with, which is pretty much the same in today's dollars, just being a 2018 film. The movie did open May 11th, 2018, opposite Breaking In, and it ended up earning just over $53 million domestically and almost $13 million internationally, for a total gross of about $67 million in today's dollars. That puts the film at an adjusted profit per finish minute of about $350,000. I feel better already. Here, here. Nice pick, Andy. I felt guilty. I still do. But man... I have a lot of fun with this one. Yep. I just love her character and I just really, I enjoy laughing as loud as I do when I watch this movie. Yeah, me too. Uh, well, that takes us to, uh, I don't know. I don't know if this is risky, but it's time for us to take it to Flickchart. Oh dear. Let's do it. Head over to flickchart.com slash the next reel. You'll see all the movies we've talked about on this very show. If you swipe over and tap the word flick chart, it should take you straight to this movie in the flick chart database where you can add it to your list and see how it stacks up against ours. Now, Pete, this is my guilty pleasure. You do realize that I am not always going to pick sane choices because there are <laughs> times when I will gladly take this film because I can laugh so much despite its uh, its tropiness and some scenes that don't work so well over something that is uh, probably or likely the better film but might be not as fun to watch. So just be aware. I feel like it is, it's <laughs> weird that you feel like you need to justify that with me after Hudson Hawk last yeah, week. Yeah, right. <laughs> but okay, man. <laughs> oh, all right, first up, Life of the Party or The Lion in Winter. I'm going Life of the Party here. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know that you are, and I'm going to give that to you. I, you'd be surprised just how well Life of the Party did on my own chart. I can't wait. Oh, my God. Second choice. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is actually the perfect culmination of everything that's oh, going no. on in the Guilty Pleasure oh, series. Oh, God. Here we no. have Life of the Party or Hudson Hawk. <laughs> Guilt against <laughs> guilt. Holy cow. Oh my god, well, that's I know atomic. how we're both gonna vote. Yeah, right. Let's just uh <laughs> let's just do it. Oh man. Okay. All right, we gotta get, already take it to the yeah. mat here. Here we go. <laughs> okay. Okay. Okay, one, one, two, two three, three, 
Scissors. Rock. Scissors. You finally won again, Pete. It has been weeks. Oh, my God. That was amazing. I'm shaking. (laughs) I I tell you, I don't agree with it, but I'm totally okay with it because (laughs) it has been an awfully long time since you've won. Quite a drought. Uh, All right. Life of the Party or Apollo 13. I got to go Apollo 13 here. Seriously? Yes. I'm surprised. I mean, no, no I, I agree. I'm going to do it too. <laughs> I just, I like I Life like, of the Party a lot, Pete. But it's, but, it's but when you put Life of the Party against, I just want to know. I just feel like I, I need to get my worldview in order that Tom Hanks is still above Melissa McCarthy. In some films, he's also, he has his own Happy Time Murders <laughs> <laughs> way down at the bottom there. <laughs> okay. Oh, Apollo 13. Uh, Right. Life of the Party or Inside Man. Inside Man. A little Spike Lee action. Yeah. Ooh. You know, I want to say Life of the Party here, but I'm okay going either way. I mean, it's inside. I said Inside Man. So if you're okay, then I'll give you Inside Man. Yeah. All right. Life of the Party or The Natural. Okay. I, uh, boy, I enjoy Life the the, the Natural. You know, the. I will always have my weird, <laughs> the natural story that always, it, it makes my brain kind of spin sometimes when I think about that movie. I enjoy it quite a bit, though. So you're going to go the Anyone natural? who wants to know what I'm talking about, you can go back and listen to the episode. Yeah, go back talking and listen to the episode. Uh, I would say life of the party here. I know I'm probably wrong, but. I don't, I don't think you're wrong. I, there's no <laughs> wrong, Andy. <laughs> Uh, just like there's no wrong regarding 2001. You can make whatever choice you <laughs> want and you. you're healthy and out. strong. It's oh. fine. I am going to choose the natural, but I want you to know that it is an unaffected choice. I'm doing it for the fans. It's not <laughs> right. me. It's the it's fans. The fans right. All right. Yeah. Well, let's do it. Ready? All right. Uh-huh. All right. One, One two, two, three. Scissors. Paper. Oh, wow. Two in a row, oh, Pete. Andy. This could be it for you. All right. Life of the Party or Chronicle. I haven't talked about that one in quite a while. I'm going to say Life of the Party. I will give you, <laughs> <I'll> give you <laughs> Life of the Party. Surprising no one, I'm going to say Life of the Party. <laughs> <laughs> life of the Party or a more recent pick, Autumn Sonata. I will say Life of the Party. Yeah, Life of the Party. Wow. That's one of those cases where I'm yeah. like, Yep. I know Adam Sonata is a better it. film, but that's okay. Yep, it's okay. <laughs> yeah. Life of the Party or Creep Show? Oof, boy, I sure love that one. I'm going to give you a Life of the Party. I, uh, I'm tempted to say Creep Show here. Okay. Oof, I'll go either way. I, I want to say Life of the Party because of recency, but I'm like, gosh, I might still prefer Creep Show here. Arr. I say Creep Show. Okay. I'm all over the place. Okay, here we go. All right. One, one, two, two three. three paper. Rock. Oh, look at that. Creep show wins. Are you No, it doesn't. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting so confused. <laughs> How are we doing over there? I don't even remember the rules anymore. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Okay. <laughs> This is just, this rock, paper, scissors thing is just getting too hard for me. I just can't handle it anymore. 
Holy cow. All right. Life of the party takes it. And uh, next up, uh, this I think will be our last one. Life of the party or high noon. I'm going to say life of the party. (laughs) I don't even know what's real anymore. (laughs) Life of the party or high noon. I had so many more issues with high noon on when we talked yeah. about it. So I probably owe it a rewatch to bring it back up a little bit, but right now life of the party. Okay. All right. Life of the party. Well, that lands life of the party one spot above high noon on our chart in spot 206 out of 438. Not, uh, you know, it, it didn't ascend quite as high as, uh, as yours did, but that's because they came head to head and I lost. So yeah, there you was- go. <laughs> Yeah, what are you going to do? But I I will say I'm I I'm so pleased with this movie. How where do you have it as a guilty pleasure on your own chart? Uh, you know, it's really hard when you're ranking guilty pleasures against better films. Like, I mean, Autumn Sonata when that came up here. I have to put this above it because I just uh, will enjoy this watching. I'll watch this 100 times before I watch Autumn Sonata again. It's just that's how that how that falls sometimes. This film landed at uh gosh, I can't even read my scribbly handwriting. This film landed at 241 out of 4,285, which is a 94%. I can't... I can't say that that's likely the 241st best film that I've ever watched, but it speaks to how much fun I have watching it, so. Yeah. Well, I can't say it crept that high on my own list. Uh, It did, out of 1,434 movies, this one landed at 347, which is a 76%. Uh, If I'm to go by the algorithm over at letterbox.com, Flickchart says that should be a four-star experience mm-hmm. and you know let's just say it starts with a heart it definitely has a heart <laughs> the question is like when i first finished the movie i finished the movie and i said that was a solid three and a half star experience i really enjoyed it and it comes completely off the rails in a way that wasn't completely satisfying at the end the christina aguilera thing just shaved off a full star i was like nah, meh <laughs> but as usual, you know, we have these conversations and your enthusiasm is contagious for it. And um, I really love that I won all those rock, paper, scissors. That's <laughs> not an insignificant component here. Uh, and so I, I wonder if I should just leave it right at a straight four star. And and it's a, a movie that I really enjoy. And I think people should watch with fresh eyes. Maybe I should be that guy. Well, I am that guy right there with you because I definitely give this a four star. I... I do have issues with it. I, you know, the the some of the sloppy uh, screenwriting that we talked about over the course of the episode, you know, it, it, it stumbles a little bit for me. But there is so much heart. There's so much just uh, earnestness and honesty. And her character, Deanna, is just just so great and in like every scene that she's in it just works so well and when the comedy hits it just it is hitting so high for me so um so four stars and a big old heart for me i love it yay okay yay that was two guilty pleasures that succeeded Huzzah. So, uh, okay, so after, now that we've done this, I don't think you spilled the beans, Andy. We, we talked about your bottom uh, list of M- Melissa McCarthy movies. How did your top five end up? 
Okay, so this, like I said, it's not at the top, but I still really like this. So top five Melissa McCarthy films, starting in spot five, The Heat with Sandra Bullock. That was a pretty enjoyable little movie. Number four, Can You Ever Forgive Me? She was great in that, and it was a great movie. Number three, Life of the Party. This is where (laughs) that one lands right there. Number two, Bridesmaids. I think that's just a fantastic film, and she is hilarious I'm, in it. I, let me just say, I'm super surprised that's num- number one. What could possibly be number one if, if it's not Bridesmaids? If you haven't seen this number one film, you absolutely have to check it out. It is Spy. And what a freaking hilarious spy movie it is. And just enjoy the movie, and then watch at the end when Melissa McCarthy and Jason Statham are just playing off each other and in their bedroom scenes, in the in the kind of the bloopers in the end credits. So freaking funny. Okay. That's absolutely my favorite of her films. I haven't seen it. Oh, watch it. It's so funny. <laughs> okay, noted. <laughs> Melissa McCarthy, Jude Law, Rose Byrne, Jason Statham, uh, Bonnie Cannavale is in it. Alyssa Elson Janney. Uh, it's just it's it's a great Marina Baccarin. Okay, great All right. cast. All yeah. right. All right. Fifty Cent it. pops up. Fifty. He's in it. That was fantastic. Now uh, that's the end of our very short twenty uh, twenty guilty pleasure series, and that leads us into something new. Yes, this is exciting. We are going to be doing a little bit of French crime films, which uh, is kind of an exciting little stretch for us. We haven't really dabbled with this at all, and so it's going to be exciting to see what uh, films we end up looking at. We have a few films lined up to discuss. We're going to be looking at the films Le True, Rififi, and Le Samurai. I think this is a great trio of films, uh, and I, I should say that if you if you're watching along or if you're listening along with the show and you haven't seen these films, some of them are a little tricky to find. Uh, That's so, the unfortunate part. Yeah, yeah, it is specifically it, Latrue, our first. Yeah, Latrue was tricky, and so if you haven't gotten that on your uh, list to get from your local library, make sure you do that. It, it it makes a tricky start to the series, but it's a film worth hunting down if you can find it so yeah, um yeah, yeah libraries sure. are great resources for things like that very excited to take that on andy when the movie ends our conversation begins Amazon giveth, Andy. <laughs> As Amazon always doing. <laughs> you okay. I just found a weird review, and I, I just, I think I'm going to have to drop mine just to do this one. Oh, <laughs> okay. You want I mean, to whatever, you think is, whatever you think is best, sure, why don't you uh, go this, ahead? This, this is uh, it's the most peculiar review I've come across, and I feel like I just need to do it because I was not expecting this, and I almost lost it just reading this. <laughs> this is a one-star review by Tiffany. Uh, Her review is such. My one-year-old purchased this movie trying to play Baby Shark while I was using the restroom. We have no desire to watch this movie, but for whatever reason, Amazon won't cancel it and give me my $14.99 back. Hashtag pissed. (laughs) Baby Shark. No, she didn't Oh gosh! Oh. <laughs> well, oh, thanks, I Tiffany's one-year-old for that one. 
I don't. I noticed you didn't bring your Amazon party friend to do your review. Oh, did I, I forgot? I but forgot. it's okay. I mean, maybe he just sometimes he doesn't show up. I guess that's I, right. I mean, that's fine. Sometimes, sometimes he's not there. I had a. Uh, I I actually went over to the Common Sense Media to see if the kids had watched this movie because <laughs> you know mine had and they had a, a good opinion of it and uh, I did find one uh, aged uh, twelve plus and this is a three star review. It is a three star review. It says this is a great comedy movie. <clears throat> this movie is about a mom that never got her high school diploma because she had a baby. Her husband dumped her and she got encouraged to get her GED. This movie will make you laugh. Does have minor swearing, but nothing too crazy. A woman hit in the crotch with a ball during racquetball. Physical comedy of Deanna falling, being hit with a paddle during sorority initiation. Drunk high women destroy a wedding reception hall. Two young women get in a fight. They push, hit, and pull on each other. An older woman was caught kissing an underage man. Words like shit, shit show, son of a bitch, ass, (laughs) asshole, pathetic, shut up. What the hell? Damn. Mom boob. Loser. And oh my God. Overall, this movie ended on a good note. Great story with comedy. I don't know if I would watch it again, but I just love it for the comedy. Recommend it for ages 12 and up. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, young Werner. (laughs) Young (laughs) Werner, indeed. What a list of profanities cataloged there. I mean, really did the work. Oh, I had and to I mute myself on a, that one. I worry a little bit that loser is categorized later than some of those earlier uh, <laughs> words. <laughs> Young Werner, oh. indeed. Oh, my God, Andy. I guess, oh right? Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, wow. On the upside, this, this title contains uh, positive messages, positive role models, language, along with drinking drugs and smoking and sexy stuff so there you go there you go Read i like it my mind common sense media and thanks amazon you know what i got the other day pete stephen king's latest want to borrow it do you know who you're talking to what do you mean andy when's the last time i read a paper book it's been like decades i would much rather use kindle or better yet audible what am i thinking i don't read paper books anymore either i am an audiobook guy all the way for those of you looking to listen to the books behind the films we talk about here on the next reel get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at thenextreel.com slash audible Okay, we're going to play a little game. I'm going to name a series from season nine, and you try to guess how many movies from it were adaptations. Ooh, this should be fun. <laughs> we're starting with the big series, Robin Hood. <laughs> well, I mean, aren't they all based on some Robin Hood story in one way or another? Yes, but any idea which specifically? Uh, well, I'd say uh, Douglas Fairbanks in Robin Hood, the silent one, The Adventures of Robin Hood, Disney's Robin Hood, that terrible 1991 Robin Hood, and Ridley Scott's Robin Hood, they're all based on, I would say, probably the same standard tale. Robin and Marion, I would say, is probably based on a different take. Uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, too. Oh, God, I can't believe I forgot that one. Okay, how about Spike Lee? Uh, aren't they all original? No, n- not one we covered this season. It's a biopic. Oh, Black Klansman! 
can't believe I forgot that. We have covered so many great movies that all started as books. Books like The Spy Who Came In From The Cold, The Little Drummer Girl, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, Europa Europa, Spore, or Arsenic and Old Lace. So many great movies from so many great sources, and they're all on Audible. Producing this podcast is a lot of fun, but takes a lot of time. We've dropped the dynamically inserted ads because they're so annoying and have no connection to our content. Plus, they just jam those things in wherever they see fit. We listened to you when you said you didn't like them. So now we're directly appealing to you, our dear listener. Please consider an Audible subscription to help support The Next Reel and our family of podcasts. I have been using Audible along with my family for decades now. I love it, and I have read hundreds of books through it. I couldn't be more pleased with their service, and I know you'll love it too. Head to thenextreel.com slash audible and get your free trial. It really helps us out, and you have a world of over 200,000 audiobooks open to you. So much great material available. Dive in with a free 30-day trial at thenextreel.com slash audible. Start listening to amazing audiobooks of your favorite movie source material with your first free audiobook today. That's thenextreel.com slash audible. 